1: Welcome to Charged Up Studio Live, where small business owners get charged up for success. Are you a small business owner? Do you find yourself struggling through the many responsibilities that come with the title entrepreneur? Well, we're here for you. Charged Up Studio is hosted by Market Academy LLC, your prescription for what we call OPA, What is OPA? It's when you become so overwhelmed with the confusion that comes with business ownership that you become paralyzed and ultimately avoid doing anything in hopes it will take care of itself or you put it off till later. Does that sound familiar? I'm your host, Dan Olivo, and each week we bring a business professional eager to charge you up as they talk about the many things that keep you from moving forward with your small business. So are you ready to get charged up for success? Let's hit it. So good morning, Charged Up Studio listeners, and welcome to another episode designed to introduce you to the resources and hacks you need to help scale your small businesses. For those of you who have subscribed and listened to me chatter on for the last five years, you have heard me talk about life-defining moments. Having gone through my own life-altering altering moments that have changed and enhanced the trajectory of my life, I naturally am attracted to the stories of others. Well today's guest is one that I have known for a while and have a great deal of respect for. She's committed to living a lasting leaving a lasting imprint on all of those that she meets through her coaching, teaching, counseling and prudent perception all the way around. She is a TV host, a TV show host, producer, a servant leader and survivor. So, let's all give a heartfelt welcome to Miss Sherry James with Phoenix Speaks Inc.
0: Thank you, Thank
1: you, Dave. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, no, I'm glad you're here. We've been trying to do it for a while. and mm-hmm. you know one thing led to another. So here we are. <laughs> here we are. the weekend before Valentine's Day.
0: no better no better yep, time
1: we're in we're in our Valentine's colors, and we're ready, so. So anyway, um, before we get started, I always like to uh, break the ice with an obscure question with all my guests. So can we do that? I this
0: is what you're famous for. So absolutely, okay. I'm terrified.
1: <laughs> all right. So you can be introspective. You can be humorous. You do you answer it the way you want. There's no specific way. So if you could give any advice to your younger self, what would you say, and at what age?
0: Oh, okay. Now that's a good one. Okay, uh hmm, I would say I would tell myself uh at probably about 10 that and this sounds really cliche um but that it's going to be okay. Um because, you know, I struggled I struggled with quite a bit of trauma between 7 and 27. And I just never thought I would get out of that spiral or that circle of kind of trauma, trauma response. So I think it would just be that simple. I think I would just say, you know what, it it really is going to be okay. Um, Because Having having that spirit inside you that just
1: keeps guiding you along, you know, that type deal. God, I'm so familiar with that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So familiar with that, which we'll get into during our conversation. So, you know. So anyway, um, can you give our audience a little bit of insight into what your life changing and defining moment was that set you
0: on the trajectory of where you are today? Absolutely. Um, I am. uh, I need to update my bio, probably. But my my job is a keynote speaker. I've been traveling the world, speaking on stages for 20 plus years. It's my passion. I love it. I owe it all to Toastmasters uh, at AT AT&T decades ago, a long time ago. Yeah. Um, But I had the opportunity to meet an author that I very much respect and revere, um, Simon Sinek. We were speaking at Simon. Love Simon. Oh my
1: gosh. (laughs) I live by his books.
0: (laughs) I know. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Um and I had the opportunity to meet him. We were speaking at uh, the same conference in California several several years ago. And at the time I was speaking on managing the millennial minded. I'd love having the, <laughs> Everyone makes the same face. Um but I have a, a specific talent for managing millennials and I have a passion for them. And so he asked me that question. He's like, "Sherry, why are you so passionate about millennials?" And I'm like well, I have two children in two different, uh, you know, generations. So I have a child that's a millennial. Uh, and then I have one who's 15 right now. Um, I said, because I'm invested. I'm invested in their lives. And he said, yeah, that's not your why. <laughs> um, I I remember thinking that can't be right. Like, I know why I do what I do. And he said, I think you should spend some time in introspection, spend some time in therapy, find out who you really are and what your why really is and i did that i went to therapy um realized that i had never dealt with my dad and mo- my dad and mom's suicide i had just been carrying it with me for decades and um when that happened it's kind of when everything else just started doors started opening i had the opportunity to do a tv show um, I lost my uh, corporate nine to five job, which in, at the time I thought could be was the worst thing that could ever happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was a life changing moment because it freed me up to do this work, um, to work to save lives.
1: Oh, my goodness. You know, listening to you talk about this. And I just recently went through a lot of this stuff myself. The same thing that you're talking about. And like I said, Simon is my fave when it comes to. You know, getting down to your why Mm -hmm. and and really focusing on what drives you, what it is that drives you. And to me, there's two whys. Mm. There is your personal why and there is your business why. Mm. And that's what I teach because your personal why is what do you want to get out of what you're doing in life? You know, with me. Um, My husband and I, we want to buy a piece of land and kind of build like a commune and all the kids can build on it, you know, and stuff like that. That's my personal why, but that's not my why for my business. Okay. Mm. My why for my business is I want to genuinely make a difference in the small micro business market by decreasing the number of failed businesses. That's my Mm. why. And out of that will come a lot of positives, increased g G G GMP, increased labor um, uh, jobs, you know, uh, strengthening the psyche of the business owner and their family environment. So there's, Mm -hmm. you know, it took a long time to really narrow down where that why is. So Mm -hmm. that's why I love Simon so much. That's why I love him so much, you know. So what do you attribute the change or changes? Is it Simon's? you know, um, challenging you to go and think or is it were you at a point where
0: you were ready? So the answer to that is yes to both. Right. Um, So I knew that I was ready. I'd done 30 years in corporate America leadership. Um, I've I've had some pretty tough roles uh, working in senior leadership as a minority, as a woman. I worked in oil and gas for a while. So uh, I had to uh, to test my mint. Like, am I because it's not okay? Um, but honestly, um, one of the organizations that I worked with most often was PMI, Project Management International. Right. Um, I've spoken for them everywhere, and what I initially felt called to do was help project managers and people in that profession understand what burnout looked like before it hit. Right. So I think that was the original kind of catalyst is how I moved my keynote speaking from leadership topics, servant leadership, managing millennial minded, all of that. Those things were still very important to me. But under the thing underlying that was that emotional and mental support that we all need, whether we're in high school, whether we are in university or at work, even if we're in the C-suite, we need to have this kind of normalcy when it comes to our mental wealth. Um, so I think I was ready. I, I think that Simon knew the, that I was ready more than I knew I was ready.
1: <laughs> so. Yes. Yeah. no, and it often takes somebody outside that can pinpoint what's going on. And, and you know, that's what happened with me was the fact that uh, it was my psychologist um, after my surgery and PTSD that pointed out, Anna, you know, you need to get to the crux of what's what's causing this self-sabotaging you know, effort. And what I found out, unfortunately, later in life, because if, if I knew this, you know, 20 years ago, I'd be so much farther ahead. But what I, what I realized was the reason I was self-sabotaging myself was because the minute I got to a point, I always believed I could do whatever I wanted to. But the minute I got to the point where I accepted the rewards for what I had worked for, I something would happen. Something would happen that would just, everything would fall apart. And I finally came to realize that the reason that happened is because I was self-sabotaging myself because of the fact that I knew once I crossed over, I'd have to deliver. And knowing I had to deliver was when I was going to start second guessing whether I could deliver. So those are things that, you know, like I said, you know, these are Um, self-fulfilling prophecies that we go through, right?
0: Absolutely. I had the opportunity to spend some time with, uh, I think, a mutual friend of ours, Dr. Phil Agrios, and uh, I did his course on self-sabotage, and it was such a telling experience for, I I think we did six weeks, and I got to know myself uh, more than I would have liked, um because i realized what my self sabotaging tra- you know trait was how frequently it showed up what to do when it showed up like not to try to right. get rid of it receive it understand here's what's happening but here's how we're going to take a different path and so definitely i was the queen of self sabotage i believe and yes. then um the work that i did with dr phil definitely helped me with this pivot and helped me uh, not only work to change the lives of others, because you said your why is different for work and for personal, personal. Mm-hmm. this is, you know, and again, it's it took me to get into my fifties before I could say this, but now those two are one and the same, right? I've always had this desire to help people. I've always been a coach to people. I've always been a mentor and a trusted advisor. That's, yeah. always, that's just who I am. Yeah. Um, but now being able to do that and get paid for it um, it it brings both together. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm totally blessed to be able to do the work that I do for sure. No,
1: that's great. You know, and, and you're right, you know, even though I have two different whys, the underlying component there is education and mentorship and accountability, right. you know, all of that is, it, it weaves itself through you know, both of the wise. So I know you bring a great deal of uh, leadership and corporate guidance and insight, mm-hmm. but I'd like to focus on the lessons learned through the hard times or those life defining moments. Let's Absolutely. Let's focus on the lessons you've learned, not only about yourself, but about those around you and how to manage those relationships.
0: You know what, Dana? You know, it's so funny when you said lessons learned, I, I had to smile because when I was still in corporate America as a project manager, um, you know, initially that was our job is to manage, you know, projects. And over time I went from managing projects to managing project leaders to managing portfolios. Um, and it's so interesting how it all plays into the next thing. So when you stop Uh, at the end of all of our projects we would do what's called a retrospective which is a lessons learned opportunity to sit back and figure out uh what did i learn and i think my number one lesson learned is that nothing happens by happenstance nothing is an accident there are no coincidences um and i think a lot of people say that but they don't really understand how to live in that faith that faith that every single thing that happens to me every person i meet every uh, person I help, every person I don't help. Um, It was all designed to be that way. And it's, you know, back like to what I said, I would tell myself, it's going to be okay because my path has already been determined for me. My job is just to show up and do it. And Uh, do it, yeah. And so my lesson learned over the last five years, 10 years, I think would probably be the same. I always take a moment to look back and say, you know why why am i here how did i get here what would i do differently um doesn't really help anybody when you say well, what would i do differently it's what am i going to do differently if i want to achieve different results so taking that project management 30 years corporate experience and applying it to my life now makes it that much easier um right. so i can you know i can say well i know i don't want to do that again right i know i don't want to spend another 30 years in corporate america um, because I was touching lives, but five, 10, 15 at a time until I got on a stage and now I can just spend that time on stage touching hundreds, thousands, hundreds. millions of people. Um, so yeah, I think that's my biggest lessons lesson learned is that, uh, I had to go through all the things I went through to bring me to the place that I'm, that I am at now.
1: You know, it's so true when you, when you talk about, you know, things that happen in life, they don't happen by happenstance. Okay, and, you know, one of the things I have learned over many years um, is the fact that to pay attention to what's going on around me, pay attention to to what's being said or what's what I'm being led to, because like you said, generally. It's by design and it's by his design. In all honesty, you know, I can tell you there's been several times where, you know, we were living in Albuquerque and um, both of us got laid off at the same time. Okay. And um, we made the decision. We wanted to stay in Albuquerque because we loved it so much. But then one day I was sitting in my husband's office and um, we were talking about his mom. His mom had just found out she had breast cancer and You know, we were debating whether we wanted to come back to Florida, you know, to to be with her and everything. And at that same moment, we got a call from his ex-boss in Florida saying, would you like to come back to Florida? We'll pay for your house to be sold. You know, we'll take care of all the moving expenses. And we looked at each other and we said, okay, that's a sign. That's God speaking to us, you know. And so many things have happened like that in my lifetime. So in in answer to what you're talking about is we've got to look at what's being told us, what what is in our life, listen to it, take a step back and explore it and say, is this on the trajectory that I have planned for my life? Or is this going to take me completely in a different direction?
0: Right. You know? Yeah,
1: yep. a, and a yeah. lot of us, a lot of us went through that
0: with COVID. Oh, absolutely. You absolutely. know, yeah. But I, think, I think COVID also gave us the opportunity to have this, uh, this new, it's almost like a, a Renaissance period, right? People had the opportunity to reevaluate evaluate who they've become, the work that they've done, um, the things that they've not had a chance yet to do. I think there was this general sense of almost regret where people were like, oh, wait, if we're going to spend the rest of our lives inside, I never got a chance to travel to New Mexico or I never got a chance to paint that painting I always wanted to do. So COVID to me, um, you know, I always talk about things and mental wealth deposits and withdrawals. Um, I think there were so many mental wealth deposits that came as a result of the pandemic because people realized, I'm just grinding, I'm just going to work every day and I hate my job and I hate my situation and I hate the commute and all of those things and to realize, here's what brings me joy. What brings me joy is helping people and coaching people and loving on people. And so if I have the opportunity to do that and I by the way, also still eat (laughs) because that's important. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, and that's exactly it. You know, I think
1: part of the realization that came out of COVID is, first of all, the family environment, you know, people, you know, the majority. I'm not saying everybody. Some people just, you know, it came to light that maybe they weren't to be together, okay. But I'd say the majority of them got to spend time with their kids, you know, and things like that because they couldn't go to daycare anymore, you know, or anything. So, and then they realized I don't need to be working these, you know, uh, uh, you know, ten hour, twelve hour days to make all this money when i just cut back on a little bit of you know a, a few things and i can spend more time with my kids you know so yeah that's you know it's it's important for us to you know take stock and i love what you talk about mental wealth and deposits and withdrawals explain that a little bit more to my listeners because i think it is it is just eye opening really
0: i would love to um one of the things that came as a part of my COVID renaissance, as we'll call it, um, I was able to take my background in uh, adult learning techniques and creating training and, and developing program development programs um, to create a program for kindergartners through um, university students. And what we do is we teach people how to change the conversation around mental health, right? People are being beat up hearing about mental health. They're... Um, you know there are opportunities and uh, crisis and support lines for when people are in that moment of crisis but what I found in my research over the past seven years is that we need to get to people well before they get on those crisis hotlines right, right. so I developed a curriculum um, and it's obviously different my joke is that I have a curriculum for kindergartners and I use the same one for my c-suite and <laughs> My C-suite clients, because they have about the same attention space, right? I got to be real quick, get in and get out. That's exactly um, it. Um, but uh, what the curriculum is, is it changes the conversation from uh, words that are embarrassing or taboo or, you know, shameful. Everybody wants to be wealthy. Everyone, right? Even a five-year-old has the concept of having wealth. They have an understanding of. Uh, a transaction. Like, if I give you this cup of coffee, was that me giving you a deposit or was that a withdrawal, right? And so when we start having those conversations, two things happen. Children are more apt to have conversations about their emotions, about the response of uh, what their teachers do, what their parents do, what their kid, you know, their friends in class are doing. But it also has an underlying benefit Because my research showed that most of these kids have no concept of even basic financial literacy when they go into college. No one's teaching them about, you know, they're not balancing checkbooks anymore like we had to, right? So um, what what this does is it gives them the opportunity to learn two things at the same time, very basic uh, vernacular when it comes to financial literacy and apply that vernacular to their mental health. Um, one of the examples that's my favorite to use is every morning I wake up, I say, I woke up feeling like a million bucks, right? And so that's my, that's, that's my, my, my goal every morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wake up feeling like a million bucks. I have breakfast with my son. That's a deposit in my mental wealth ATM. And that's a deposit of 5 million because I love my kid. And the fact that he still talks to me at 15 is awesome. Um, now I can get in the car and drive to take him to school and someone will cut me off and I can, I could, that could be a withdrawal, but I could be like, oh my gosh, these drivers in Texas just, uh, oh. um, and that could be a withdrawal of whatever, you know, a thousand or I can change my mindset and say, well, this person cut me off in traffic. They didn't hit me. I didn't hit them. They're safe. I'm safe. I'm going to exactly. yeah. Reframe <laughs> it. Reframe it a deposit. Yep. So all the things that I've learned, um, you know, we utilize all kinds of things, such as EMDR and other things, but that basic conversation is what's important. And that's where the mental wealth curriculum came from. It's just how do we start the conversation in a way that's not uncomfortable, in a way that's not judgmental, in a way that's not making one person better than the other. We all have deposits and withdrawals every day. Um, we do have some days. That we feel emotionally and mentally bankrupt, um, yeah. but my clients have a a um, tool to use to figure out well where did, where did I get my highest value withdrawal? Yeah, if I'm mentally bankrupt today, then I know I need to call Coach Karen because I know she'll make a huge deposit, um, and she's one of the things that I refer to. So yeah, so it's a great class to teach because. Um, It just changes the conversation. People are like, wait, you were talking about suicide prevention. Um, I would imagine
1: it would also go a long way in helping with the bullying situation.
0: Yeah, a lot of it, because you can have those kids can have conversations and speak in similar terms so their teachers can understand. Um, And even the other children, right? Like other children don't want to have a withdrawal from their own mental uh, account so they understand that their behaviors that we hold accountable for them so absolutely right right exactly
1: right. you know as a strategist um and
0: i work you know uh
1: quite directly with micro business owners and these are business owners that are three years or younger 10 employees or less you know they're still struggling through the the launch stage of their business you know that type deal and a good part of my job addresses the issues uh, before they become life altering, meaning these, these mental issues. They're go- you, you know as well as I do, when you're starting a, a new business, there are going to be roadblocks along the way that easily can turn into um, uh, boulders. If you let them. And so, therefore, with all of the programs that we offer through Market Atomy, it includes coaching, either one-on-one or group mastermind coaching, because we want to deal with the mental side of being an entre- entrepreneur as much as we want to deal with the actual business side. So, what are your thoughts as far as um, working with entrepreneurs? and and especially on the leadership side, on maintaining a balance or creating a balance of positive um, uh, mental acuity, okay? Uh, And and understanding when it's time to take that step back and explore what's causing me to feel this way.
0: So um, that's a great question. Um, And I will tell you that I was blessed With the best business partner on the planet, Um, so the uh, my business partner who helped me to start my nonprofit Twenty Twenty Lives Changed, uh, she is a psychologist uh, and a LPC, and she you know Dr. Stacia Alexander created a course um, that talks about preparing small business owners. And now get this, because everyone else is like, here are all the bad things that might happen in the first three years of your business. Actually, what she talks about is the emotionality of success, because yeah. you need to understand that when you are successful, things in your life will change. When your business becomes, when you get out of that three year struggling and clawing, trying to get everything and things are starting to flow, that success can make you feel guilty. That success can make you feel estranged from other people. Your Your crowds will probably change. You may not hang out with the same people family members, things change. And so I think that's the most important thing to prepare an entrepreneur for, not just, you know, the big boulders that are coming or the little rocks that will just keep pedaling you know, at you, but making sure that you're also preparing for the positive. Make sure that you understand how the sometimes the bigger the financial deposit, Mm -hmm. the larger the mental withdrawal, right? Because now you've got friends that Maybe you didn't have before and you don't know why they're your friend and you think it's just, it's probably because your success draws people to you because they also want to be successful, but that can be a withdrawal for you over time. So yep. I think from a small business, micro business start, uh, startup, understanding that the things that we thought were going to be mental wealth deposits also have a side of them that could be seen as a withdrawal because you'll have family members that are like, I don't want to hang out with you anymore because I can't whatever. I don't know. They find reasons, right? Um, or they don't feel comfortable in the same room. Like if I'm in a room full of CEOs and business owners, some of the people who I hung out with two years ago may not be comfortable in that environment. Doesn't mean I love them any less. Doesn't mean they love me any less. But if I'm not emotionally prepared for the changes in yep. my surface the changes in my business, the changes in my atmosphere, um, that also leads to that self-sabotaging behavior. Because you you value those relationships.
1: Yeah. You know, yeah. before I forget, um the end of this year, I'm already planning for 2024, okay? Uh in November of this year, November 10th I think it is. I'm going to be holding a 3-day summit. That is going to be a combination of strategic annual planning, we're going to plan for the next 12 months, but I also want to build in a mental health component. And it's, it's a retreat here in Orlando. I would love to get you there with me.
0: You know, I'll support anything you do.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would love to get you there talking exactly about this, you know, talking about this, because I think it's important. And these are your, you know, your small business owners. So I'll keep that in mind and we'll, we'll stay in touch with that.
0: <laughs> I like it.
1: So anyway, but no, that's um, recently I was... Um, doing some research on global economic trends and i'm talking global not just us not the, what economic trends or business economic trends are happening globally in 2023 um, and one of the five global trends and i can the economist put it out the economist put it out was spoke about how individuals were seeking psychedelic therapy to manage anxiety, stress, and PTSD, have you heard about these trends?
0: I have absolutely. I actually have uh, one of my really good friends. She just started her own practice. Um, uh, it's in embodiment coaching, and uh, she does she does use psychedelic. Um, assisted therapy is one of her modicums so yeah it's it definitely is a trend which is interesting because I feel like I lived through the last time uh, (laughs) people were using psychedelics right I don't know if they necessarily said that it was for mental health reasons but uh, I just remember that's I don't think that ever really went anywhere I think that's been around for a long long time well Um, you know it's just just now comfortable having conversations
1: it's just now becoming very popular and as much as I'm not against something like this you know because I know that it's it's understanding the purpose behind it absolutely understanding the purpose behind it my son is very much into holistic healing and he's gone to peru a couple of times where they've done the mushrooms and things like that you know and he swears by the way it's opened up his mind you know and those kind of things but where i'm where my concerns come is the reliance on this rather than dealing with the root issues.
0: Yeah, I agreed with you when I before I knew more about the practice, um, and I think, and just in my limited experience. So this is not my wheel. Mine's very limited too. Yeah, my my opinion, but um, it seems as though the people that I know that have utilized it. Um, it's usually like they're once or they need it once or twice just to open up their mind so that they can stop their limiting beliefs, which we all know that we have. We, every human has our own self-limiting beliefs. Um, And in my experience, the people that I know that have gone through programs like that, it's not like they have to do it every week or they, it's even, you know, um, when we have pharmaceuticals, you know, that we take forever, we take them for the rest of our lives. The difference that I've seen in my experience is that people can have one or two of these experiences, realize their own self-worth, their own self-value, and there is no need in some cases for the everyday continuing to medicate and continuing because they now see themselves as whole. They see themselves as uh, bigger than they've ever imagined themselves to be. And so now, minus those self-limiting beliefs, they can go and accomplish Pretty much anything because we talked about how our self-saboteur shows up um so I don't know that I see it as a reliance necessarily I think I see how people have used this as a, as a one-time event once or twice in their life just to break through that but uh, their own personal ceiling of right right belief. um and so I, I I've not seen that I've not seen it where it's like oh this okay. is something I have to do every day or every month I've seen it as a, an experience that allows all of the other modalities to work, whether it's therapy, whether it's equine therapy or EMDR or talk therapy, um, right. but you're speaking from a place, uh, from a holistic place that you've seen um, that you might not have seen before. So, right, you're right. Um, yeah, so it's yeah. not... Well, know. like I said,
1: I, I don't know a lot about it. You know, this is just something I had learned just recently doing my research and stuff. And, um and so not knowing that it was only like a once or twice thing, it's just a breakthrough. How close is this to hypnosis?
0: I think um, there are some similar, I think there's some similarities. I think, in my, again, not a, not a uh, guru on the subject. But um hypnosis is led by someone else, right? I mean, even though the people that I know that utilize these uh alternative types of healing and therapy, um, it's it's guided, but not really. You really have the opportunity for you to go inside yourself to understand the things that you wouldn't even say to a therapist. Right. Um we all have those. And so I think what I've seen for people who've used this this uh format, they can kind of go inside themselves and lead themselves on this journey or allow themselves to lead themselves on a journey. Whereas hypnosis is kind of someone is, you know, they're taking you there, they're right there with you in that moment, in that same space, um, helping to navigate and guide you through it, which is extremely helpful in some cases, and a lot of cases, but sometimes we don't know what we don't know. And so my experience and my understanding is where this differs is that people know inside where they really need to go. And they would prefer that to be kind of a private journey at first, so that they can understand what are their trauma triggers? Why are they there? What happens? And now they have a different conversation when they go to their therapist, right? Like, oh, I thought I was afraid of spiders. I'm not really as afraid of spiders as I thought I was, but there was a memory that I had of this thing, right? Whatever. Um, So I think if I think it's different than hypnosis. I think it's something that can be used in addition to. Um, but yeah, I don't think I don't see them as being the same. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, that's, you know, that's like I said, this is this, this is all new to me and learning these different um uh methodologies, you know, and domains uh as far as handling this, you know. Um back in um 2014, August of 2014, I was working down in Brazil. And, um, at the time I was down there, my driver had just dropped me off in front of my apartment and it was a one-way street and I was crossing the street and a bus, one of the, uh, buses, city buses ran a yellow light and, and hit me while I was crossing the street. <laughs> yeah. And so I ended up with seven broken ribs, a collapsed lung, lacerated liver, uh, two blown eye sockets, a hematoma, and my right arm was completely crushed. You yeah. know, and, you know, um, as traumatic as that was, I got back to the United States about six weeks, seven weeks later, you know, when they let me fly back and realized I had PTSD as well. Okay. So that started my journey with the psychiatrists, psychologists, and, and things like that. And as I said, it took me seven years to really get down to the root of everything, but What I had a problem with, and maybe you can speak to this a little bit, is I had a problem reliving or talking about what had happened to me down there because I felt as though I was playing on their sympathies, the other person's sympathies. I didn't want them to look at me as a case or to feel sorry, or, you know, I didn't want them to look at me differently because of what I went through. And it took my psychologist and and several other people telling me that is what's gonna make you vulnerable to your clients. So talk about this a little bit based on what you've gone through, you know, and everything. How did you come to the realization that that was your, uh, your, your strength in growing?
0: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I will tell you that um, the the work that I do. So I, I this is just I, I love ta- you know mixing humor into these kind of serious conversations. Um, so I just spoke at a conference in Houston um, with uh, hundreds of tax CPAs, right? Oh. Um, and so like, you laugh because <laughs> they tax, were tax CPAs. <laughs> yeah, it's a very interesting group. Um, but uh, and I talked about mental wealth, which was interesting because a debit can be a good or a bad thing. They taught me. Yeah, exactly. Good, right? Difference yeah. between
1: bookkeeping and accounting.
0: Exactly, and I am neither, so I completely blew that. I was it was terrible. But we did talk a lot about um, just kind of understanding why we need to do this assessment. Just like we've got to, you know, we don't balance checkbooks anymore, but we do find our balance. We do go back and look, how much money do I have? How much money do I spend? How much do I save? That means we've got to constantly look at what our balance sheet looks like, right? A mental balance sheet. Um, Sadly, so many of us spend our lives not looking at it right? We just have this tunnel vision. I know I'm probably mentally bankrupt. And because I believe that I'm just going to keep going on with that belief, as opposed to sitting down and writing it down and looking at it and saying, okay, wait, well, I mean, I woke up today, so there's that. You're above Um, ground. As long as you're above (laughs) ground, you're doing good. (laughs) Um, One of the things that I I enjoy about what I do now is that I make people get out of their comfort zone, right? Right um and some and I make them write down the things that bring them them joy and someone almost every class that I teach says dance right dance is a mental wealth deposit for them right so I have the the uh, AV person put some music on and I make everybody get up and I yeah. make them right and for a group of tech tax CPAs they were like what she wants them to dance what's this mean but from a trauma response perspective, if we are afraid of the stories of our past, if we're afraid to go back and look at them, um, then we can't heal from them, right? They become, they stay in charge. Those right. feelings of fear or insecurity, that they, they they stay there, right? As opposed to going back and saying, hey, that happened so long ago and I survived it. Yeah. I'm still here. Um, and that's my daily mantra. Like, you, do you know what I went through like if you knew what I went through then you understand where I am today and I'm so much better off today than I was five years ago seven years ago and I have also a PTSD diagnosis but for me it's not about living in the past and it's not about what my therapist thinks about me Mm -hmm. I had a very similar perception when I first started therapy after my divorce I'm like I don't want I don't want people to think this of me but that wasn't really my fear my fear was what I thought of myself. I paid the, I pay my therapist, right? I don't, I I mean, it's not that I don't care what she thinks, but eh, I pay her. This is her job. This is what she does for a living. So I think that's another one of those limited beliefs that we hold about going to get help is that they're going to think something of me. They're going to think I'm crazy. They're going to think this and they don't. They went into this line of work so that they could help people understand themselves. And so- Sometimes when you flip the screen around, it's yeah. really our insecurities and our n- not willingness to accept. Yes, this happened. Yeah. But yes, also survived it, and I'm okay. I'm better today than I was not well, My yeah. healing journey will take my whole life. Yeah. Um, But I do have to go back from time to time to remember why am I responding to something that happened today in really? this manner. It's because it reminds me of something that happened a long time ago that if I don't remember what that is, then I don't make that connection and I constantly make the same mistakes. So
1: it was a telltale sign when the accident had happened that I knew where my self-sabotage was coming from. Okay. Um, Because I was in the ambulance. I don't remember the accident at all. Okay. And all the last thing I remember is the headlamp of the bus right on top of me. And I just kind of let myself go. So by the time I finally came to realization, and I was, I thought I was dreaming, came to realization in the hospital, in the uh, ambulance as I'm being wheeled into the hospital, I looked up and I said, Oh, hell, Dana, what did you do now? (laughs) And that was my comment, you know, and that's a telltale sign. I knew back then, you know, that. In my mind, I did this to myself.
0: Absolutely.
1: I did this to myself. So, you know, I think it's important, like you said, you know, do you think that those individuals like us, okay, who continuously grow and continuously move forward, you know, that we are doing that because of a tragedy that's happened in the past, do you think it's always something that triggers us to work harder or?
0: I think it depends on the person. I, I, if I had to speak about myself, I would tell you that I go through seasons, right? Um, I go through seasons of life where I just have to be busy. I And again, that some of that is uh, PTSD from 30 years in corporate America, to be honest, right? Some of that is just, I just have to stay busy. Um, but because I have such an amazing mental health team, they help me to identify those kind of repeated behaviors yeah. that can kind of send me on this spiral, right? Okay, you're spending a lot of time, excuse me, away from your support circle. Why? What's going on? Like what is yeah. happening? So those triggers happen every day. Like right. and I work in suicide prevention. So you can't imagine how many times a day. I hear about someone whose family member or friend died by suicide and it takes me back to my own trauma, right? But what's happening over time is that I learn how to go recognize that thought, you know, the feel your feeling statement, right? Okay. I feel triggered in this moment and yep. I should, because that's what makes me relatable. I know what it's like to have suicidal ideation. I know what it's like to be the child of parents that have been lost to suicide. So I go back, Identify where the trauma came from. And then I come quickly back to say, I can hear you. I understand you. I can empathize with you um, because I have this, this, we have this shared lived experience, right? Right. Um, So I think it's important for people to understand that like our brains were just trying to protect them itself, right? If we're not able to process the trauma in that moment, then our brain just puts it in a little package with a bowl on it and it'll come out later. And it's like we'll deal with that later. right now, let's get your arm better and re- heal these ribs and get you breathing and let's work on the body first. yeah and when it's time, we can come back and unpack this little box and maybe we'll just take one thing out of it and put yeah. it back. Um, so, yeah, that's like- exactly
1: that's exactly what happened to me, you know and I knew physically I could heal. Mm-hmm. you know it was a long, but I knew I could heal physically but um the mental stuff, the PTSD, that was probably the hardest thing I'd ever gone through, you know? So anyway, we're coming up on the end of another episode of Charged Up Studio. Are there any last minute tips or offers you wanna express to our audience?
0: Absolutely. So uh, we are in the process of rebranding our company, uh, which is good for everyone else. Uh, It's a lot of work for me, I will tell you. Um, But I am um, setting up all of our uh, scheduled events for 2023. So um, in the event that you need a keynote speaker, um, a coach, I do executive coaching, but specifically around the keynote speaking for the rest of the month of February, if you book for 23, uh, you get 23% off of our listed costs for our keynotes. So uh, definitely, if you mention your show, then your listeners will be able to receive a 23% discount on any of my keynote packages available for 2023 through the month of February. So um mm-hmm. you can and find me you on, on your LinkedIn. schedule for November. So <laughs> I, you got it. I love it. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. So definitely, definitely. Um how can people get a hold of you?
0: So LinkedIn is my favorite place. Uh so Sherry James PMP um, again, we're rebranding our website, so I don't want to send anyone there just yet, because it's still kind of all over the place, but definitely find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on my YouTube channel, Sherry James PMP, um, and you'll see some of the work that we've done already, including our TV show, Creating Mental Wealth. So, uh, not very hard to find me, but LinkedIn is my my preferred uh, method, um, because it's uh, it's where I hang out the most. So. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that's all, folks. I hope you were able to gain
1: some insight here with Sherry, just as I have, um, and how you can strengthen your business by uh, paying attention to what's happening around you and where your mental wealth is at the time. Uh, Charged Up Studio is brought to you by myself, Dan Olivo, host and also CEO of Marketatomy, LLC. Charged Up Studio is brought to you each week on Tuesday and is part of the small business ecosystem developed specifically with you in mind, the small business owner. If you would like more information on any of the programs offered to small business owners like yourself, reach out to marketatomy.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-A-T-O-M-Y.com. Until next week. Go out and have a charged up week. And thank you once again, Sherry James. Thank you. Have a great one. You've been listening to Charged Up Studio Live, the podcast with you, the small business owner in mind, with your host, Dana Olivo. Join us every Tuesday as we bring you valuable tips and insights into many of the topics you don't know, you don't know about growing a successful business. Please leave us a review on any of the streaming platforms you are listening to, or visit us on the YouTube or Facebook page and leave a review or subscribe so you don't miss another episode. You can also support us through Patreon by visiting our website, chargedupstudio.live and click on the Patreon link. Until next week, go out and have a charged up week.
0: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.